Right before coming here this morning, I, uh, you know, like I said, I, I have not actually been watching the news quite intentionally, but right before I came here, I decided to post something on Facebook. And I'm not on Facebook that much. Y'all should know that. I actually don't. The only way I generally use Facebook is as it's like a passive recipient of my Twitter feed. So I rarely am actually on it. But I just, you know, I just had to post this one picture that I saw this week that sort of sums up everything to me. It is the picture of Melania Trump wearing a colonial hat feeding an elephant mother's milk. Colonia Trump. <laughs> the disconnect, the dissonance in that picture sort of says everything. It's the whole reason why I haven't been watching the news. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm actually here to talk about why we're here. And part of that I know is the deep commitment to social justice that everyone has in this community. I have the utmost respect for everything that has been done, that is being done, and that will be done, generating out of this community in terms of social justice. But I have to offer to you that I am sometimes challenged by the term social justice for a couple of reasons. Part of it comes from a lesson that my brother gave to me, and I may have shared this with you before in a previous sermon, where he explained to me that through the Muslim lens, justice is the work of God. And it's important to remember that, especially working in interfaith circles, that the word justice lands differently into people's hearts and ears. So social justice, like, okay, we're going to work on social justice. Okay, that's a thing. I'm also challenged by it because I feel that in some ways it has become a brand. Social justice brand, TM. You know? And that's a little too easy. It's a little too easy to just walk away from it when it gets too hard or when you don't have enough time or many reasons. Brands aren't what make life work. We are seeing that because we're being inundated with a brand right now. So what I believe in, what I like to use as a term is the title of this message, which is social balance. We're experiencing a time of incredible imbalance. I, I, I don't want to ever be the sole arbiter of justice in this world. I don't have that kind of an ego. But I can recognize balance, and I can recognize when everyone actually needs to be heard, much like I was trying to explain earlier about democracy, everyone's voice matters. And people are getting hurt right now because there's no balance. And I don't mean just like, oh, I feel so bad. Physically hurt battered, abused, assaulted, incarcerated, you name it, hurt in permanent ways. So I call on us 
in our social justice work, to be thinking deeply and moving steadily towards social balance. It is why in the prayer I ask you to not forget those people who may have committed horrible crimes this week are still human beings. They still share human bodies like everyone else in this room. So how do we work towards social balance? That is the question. And I'm going to answer it because I got all the answers, right? No. <laughs> Nothing like that. Although I do think it is, or at least begins with something fairly simple. Love. Love. I could do a year's worth of sermons on love, on what it means to love, on what it means to not have love in your life, on what it means to be motivated out of love. Love, it is all-encompassing. It is all-filling. It is a goal that we are all seeking at all times. It's sort of this, I almost feel like it, it's the context in which we live. It's the context of love. Yet I heard no love last week. And what was shocking to me was there was very little love coming from anyone last week. And so that's, that brings me back to being here in this space, in this community. Because I believe that in order to fight for love, you must first know love. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder, what does it look like? What does love look like when you can ignore people who are migrating from other countries? What does love look like to those people who can target someone sexually and then turn a blind eye? What does it, what is, what does it feel like to claim love and do so much damage to women's bodies, to men of color, people incarcerated. I just wonder. But it's not mine to figure out, although Friday night I did not sleep. I will tell you that much. I, many of you might have also been awake with me. I should have given you a call. I did not sleep la on, on Friday night pondering this, wondering what motivates these other folks, what motivates the them, if you will. But you know what? I'm not going to let them take my sleep. I'm not going to let them take my passion. I'm not going to let CNN take it. I'm not going to let the Washington Post take it. I'm not going to let anybody take it away from me. They can't take that away from me. We can't be afraid to lead with love. And that, I believe, is what we're called to do in this space, to lead with love. You might have heard this expression that goes around in some conservative, and largely, though, uh, mostly you'll hear this expression in rather right-wing circles about snowflakes, the whole snowflake thing, people who 
are, are, are supposedly weak or they, their emotions are out there for everyone to see and we have to legislate based on emotions. And I think that comes from a completely misguided concept of what humanity, compassionate, loving humanity is. I don't want to actually live in a world that's all about machismo and bravura. I would like to live in a world that is about the most simple, humble, tender love. And there's nothing weak about that. I sometimes, maybe, maybe to people's annoyance, refer back to the Jesus story a lot. It's, well, it's a story that I grew up with. It is a tremendous reference point for me. There is a reason why it comes back time and time again. Because Jesus was not about weakness. And at the same time, it's important to remember that Jesus was not about righteousness or resistance. Jesus was all about selfless and inevitable love. Selfless and inevitable love. So one of the reasons that I'm in a Unitarian Universalist church and not a United Church of Christ is because I recognize that there are problems to which that story, that through which that story has come to us. And one of those problems for me at least, and maybe some of you will identify with this, is the erasure of the woman story in the Bible and even in the birth of Jesus. How often do we get to hear about Mary's labor pangs? So for me, a better universal story is that of combined, and there's a slash in this, motherhood, womanhood. I believe that we lose something when we don't lift up the magic of womanhood. When we ignore it, push it aside. Because within womanhood is this same story of selfless and inevitable love. The act of mothering before, during, and after giving birth is about selfless and inevitable love. And one need not be the one giving birth to step into that role, but it is 99.9% .9 of the time a woman who fills that role. No one gets pregnant out of righteousness. No one takes on the role of mother as an act of defiance and public witness. It is epically difficult, and it is entirely about selfless and inevitable love. There is nothing snowflake about it. It is bold, it is brave, 
it is courageous. And we can all learn from it. So here in this community of First Parish, I give you that as I hope a gift, a reminder that there are many ways into understanding selfless and inevitable love, but that we have to practice it here. We have to practice what it means to hold it, to, 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 to work with it, to challenge ourselves through it, to activate our covenant, to always remain in relationship with each other through all the difficulties. It is only through doing that work here, the practice of love, that we are fit enough to be out in the world to fight for it. I was a personal trainer, among many other things. I'm still a personal trainer. I will never lose that mentality. It's actually a very funny thing, a little anecdote. Jonathan will appreciate this. My voice teacher, Kim Scown, at the New England Conservatory, was a friend of Jonathan's, used to tell me that I approached my voice lessons. He started off, he said, like a dancer. He's like, no, you approach it like an Olympic athlete. I was like, that's good, right? He's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> You have to be a lot more gentle on your voice, he said. But in the role of minister, I do think I have a little leeway to approach this training like an Olympic athlete. It is my job to walk with this community in times of distress, in times of joy, in times of confusion and unsureness. And my primary job is to help this community stay grounded in love. I am your love trainer. Once again, I say, in order to fight for love, you must first know love. So for you to go out into this world and to continue to fight for democracy that is born of love, to create a society that holds love higher as the highest priority, more higher than economic progress, to seek reconciliation of conflict as an act of love, and to assure that no one is ever allowed to pervert the greatest physical act of love into an act of violence, an act of shame, an act of privilege and power, and then to leave it as a footnote. For you to go out into the world to do all this, we must always, always assure that this house is built on a foundation of love. My friends, let's make it so. Blessed be.